really what we need people to do is, you know, to just jump in and do it. Hi, folks, and welcome to Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, an initiative of the Pro-Life Guys podcast where we feature the incredible women and men from across the country and around the world who are making sacrifices of their time and energy for the protection of preborn children and the mothers and fathers um, who are caring for them and making these important decisions. My name is Cameron Cote. I am the host of today's episode, and today I am joined by a good friend and colleague, Kateri. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good stuff. I'm glad that you're able to join the show. We're, we're trying to feature guests from all over the place, and and you are our latest um, guest from Vancouver. We've had a couple people from the Vancouver area, I guess. Growing up in Victoria, everything in the Lower Mainland was characterized as Vancouver. I know that you don't quite live in Vancouver proper, but without further ado, I, I'd love to ask this kind of intro question of just... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about who you are and what makes you tick. And then we'll dive into your pro-life experience and, and from there. So let's have it. Who is Kateri? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I grew up in a family of six kids. So I'm the fifth out of six. Um, I grew up Catholic, so I'm, I'm Catholic. Um, I like playing hockey, doing some calligraphy, reading books, all that kind of stuff. Super cool. It, it was funny this summer. So your sister, Rachel, did the internship with us here in Calgary, but I met you first. And so I just had in my brain that you were the older sister. Um, and I didn't believe her the first couple of times that she told me that she was actually the older sister. Um, and and so you were fifth of six, grown up Catholic, very cool, um, very similar to myself. And as somebody who was Catholic, was, was the pro-life issue something that had been on your heart since as early as you can remember, was there kind of a defining moment that brought you into the movement? What, what did your journey look like to being now working um, full-time in, in the pro-life movement? Yeah, so of course, growing up Catholic, I knew that abortion was wrong. It's something that the Catholic Church um, holds that it's wrong in all circumstances. Um, but I didn't really start getting active about it or doing anything until university. Before university, though, I, I had a moment where I was driving to school one day and I kind of, I guess you could say, heard a voice. It was kind of just like this knowledge. Um, and it was just something that said, you know, you're going to do pro-life work when you're older. And I heard that kind of and I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so I kind of dismissed it. But it also, it ultimately, ultimately influenced um, kind of the path I took. So I decided when I was going to university that I was going to go um, into medicine. I wanted to be a doctor. And I said, well, I'll do, I'll do pro-life work on the side and I'll work with babies. Um, so I went to university and I ended up joining the pro-life club on campus, um, eventually becoming the club president. And we um, were introduced to CCBR because we did some activism with them. They trained us. They trained our volunteers and our club members. Um, and so I eventually actually went to Florida Abortion Awareness Project um, with CCBR. And so after that trip, I came back and I just knew that I, I had to do pro-life work. I didn't even want to finish the semester. It was really difficult um, sticking that out because it was all I wanted to do is pro-life work. Um, so that's kind of how I got there. And then because I grew up Catholic, I, I also have a passion for evangelization um, and for talking about religion. So I found that through my work um, in the pro-life movement, that it's also a great way to do that. 
um, I can minister to mothers and fathers um, and to be, you know, how Christ, how he calls us to, to save others from being led to death. And doing pro-life work is a really clear way of doing that, both through helping those mothers and fathers to find healing, to find forgiveness for the sin of abortion that they've committed. Um, and also by saving those preborn children who are being led to the slaughter, obviously. Um, and so that's kind of why I'm passionate about it. Just in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> Very cool. And I kind of want to pull on one of those strings there because I feel like that story of, of your journey is similar in many ways to mine in that though my heart breaks for preborn children who are killed by abortion, what, what really drew me, I, I think it's fair to say, into the movement in a very substantial way was having my heart broken for the mothers and fathers who had chosen abortion. I, while I was at the University of Victoria, um, out in BC as well, I, I interact with so many broken, hurting, grieving people that were, that were responding in anger or responding with sadness or whatever based on their abortion experience. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on how that can be a motivating factor, because even for pro-lifers like you and I, it can feel very abstract to be trying to protect these preborn babies. And, and while abortion is obviously wrong, first and foremost, because it kills an innocent human, and through that, it hurts mothers and fathers because of that, um, that sin, that injustice. I'm curious what your thoughts are on how interacting with a broken culture can hopefully motivate people towards acting on behalf of preborn children, acting out against abortion, I suppose, in, in how that interaction that I'm sure that you've had on countless occasions now has continued to motivate you in your pro-life ministry. It's important to interact with these people, obviously. It's something I do almost, well, definitely on a weekly basis. As Christians, we're called to, to help those around us, to love other people and to love them genuinely. And so part of loving people um, is helping them to find healing for, for something that's happened to them. And in the Catholic church, we have a thing, a saying, I guess, where, you know, not really a saying, but, um, in the Catholic church, it's known that when you, when, when you do something that's good, right. When, when people come back to the church, we're lifting up the entire body of Christ. And so I found this also kind of motivating if that answers your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that in, in many ways, what goes through my mind when I'm interacting with post-abortive mothers and fathers is, is simply, and, and this is a, a phrase that many people may be familiar with in a slightly different sense. I'm going to try to normalize the way that I say it now is the truth without compassion is ineffective. However, compassion without truth is not love. Many people may have heard it before that truth without love is ineffective. Love without truth is a lie. I don't think that it, I think that truth ceases to be truth if there is no love in it. However, compassion, I think, kind of articulates that, that truth without compassion, without gentleness is ineffective. But gentleness and compassion without truth, that is not love. To be gentle and to be compassionate to somebody, but withhold the truth from them is not genuinely wanting the best for that other person. So I, that's what often goes through my mind. And, and as you mentioned, you're doing regular activism, often multiple times per week. And I'm curious, from the time um, from university till now of doing pro-life activism, are there any memorable experiences that stand out in your mind um, that, that are worth sharing, I guess? 
Yeah, for sure. So there's lots of different ones. Just because we've been talking about religion so much, one that comes to my mind um, is one I had down in Florida. And so we were doing uh, the display with CCBR, a big abortion display for anyone who doesn't know, and talking to people on university campuses. So this one guy comes across the display. He has a skateboard, you know, a big afro in his hair, um, just a really interesting guy. And so he comes by and I ask him, what do you think of abortion? And so we discussed for a bit. He said that he thought abortion was okay. Um, and we, we continued chatting. And further into the conversation, he admitted that he was actually Catholic. He was raised Catholic. And he knew that the Catholic Church taught that abortion was wrong. And he knew that was probably the right stance. Um, but he was just kind of leading an immoral life. And he knew that was wrong, too. And he said he was trying to change. And so the conversation actually turned to Catholicism more. And we were able to talk about that. And by the end of the conversation, it was really cool because he actually said, you know, why don't we pray for each other? And so he said we can become friends through prayer, which was a really interesting experience. That is such an interesting and such a beautiful experience and how... I, I think it's worth acknowledging that while every different CCPR staff member, volunteer, intern may have a different relationship with faith and with God and that sort of thing, and while the apologetics that we teach are to use the language of human rights and how all humans should get human rights and that sort of thing, how for many of the interactions that we have, faith and religion and God obviously blossoms through, that that the pro-life position is not the entirety of the gospel. However, it is, is obviously a, a massive part of the gospel, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and especially those who are the weakest and most vulnerable among us. And so it's amazing how many times the person we're talking to will bring up religion. We, we're invited into a conversation about faith, about God, about um, objective moral truths and that sort of thing. So I think it's beautiful, that that experience. And another question I'd love to tap into your experience with is, so as somebody who's doing regular pro-life activism, many of the people who tune into this show are as well doing regular pro-life activism, whether as a staff member of a different pro-life organization, I'm sure that there's some of the staff members from our pro-life organization also tuning in, but whether it's a staff, whether it's in a volunteer capacity, whatever it might look like for them, are there any like a, a minor tip or, or suggestion of something that you've really found has helped you in your interactions, whether it's a state of mind, whether it's a, a conversational tool that has really helped your conversations? Yeah, for sure. So one thing I would say I've learned is the most important thing I've learned is to love people genuinely, um, to genuinely care about them in conversations. Um, so one time I was having a conversation with a guy and we were both kind of putting our points forth, but I wasn't really listening to him. And, you know, he walked away from the conversation. He didn't change his mind. And it was just a super frustrating conversation. So I learned that, you know, we have to have empathy in all our conversations. We have to really listen to that other person because we don't know where they're coming from or what kind of experiences they've had. It might be really personal. It might not be really personal also, um, but we don't know where they're coming from. And especially as Christians too, we need to be, to be genuinely caring about this person and what they're saying. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's something I've been percolating on as well of, of this 
sometimes the dichotomy is it's, it's characterized of head apologetics and heart apologetics, which for those who are maybe unfamiliar with these terms, there, there's a temptation to think of purely intellectual or academic arguments and purely emotional arguments for people. And, and so often when I'm doing workshops, people will say, well, when do you know it's time to switch to heart apologetics? And in my mind, they're one and the same. It, it's, it's a, a harmony of, of different themes that are coming together that you are showing right from the very beginning. It's not that you introduce the, the harmony halfway through and it's a jarring, you've got a, a single fiddle and then suddenly you've got a, a second instrument jumping in at, at a different point. And it's a jarring part of the conversation, but rather heart apologetics, engaging the person as a valuable human being that you care about genuinely and you want the best for them, not only emotionally, experientially, but also intellectually as a whole person. I think that's, I'm so glad that you mentioned that as, as a, a point for people to focus on, to help them in their conversations, to think of the person that they're interacting with, not as a um, just writing on a wall. It's not just a bathroom stall conversation, but rather a real person that you're interacting with. Um, and so the last question I want to ask you, Kateri, is, is about words of encouragement. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's at least a few people listening to this episode or watching it on YouTube, whatever it may be, that are not as active in the movement as they could be. Whether that means that they only are able, they only join Pro-Life Outreach once a month or a couple times a year when really they could prioritize it a little bit more, whether it's be, um, a matter of they've never joined for Pro-Life Outreach before, they're timid, they're, um, they're nervous about it. What kind of words of encouragement or inspiration could you offer to them to help them really optimize the amount of engagement that they're really having? For sure. Yeah. And so a lot of people when doing pro-life work think that you have to have the perfect arguments or these kind of things. And really what we need people to do is, you know, to just jump in and do it. Um, and each person can make a real difference, whether you have a perfect conversation or not. So one time I overheard a girl walking past uh, our display actually in Florida at the Abortion Awareness Project again. Um, and she said that, you know, she was considering an abortion the previous week and she had thought she was pregnant. She, she saw her signs and she knew that she couldn't get an abortion just from seeing that photo. So that's kind of the kind of impact volunteers can have, even just by helping us, you know, put forth our literature, showing our photos around, or you can be that person who puts a pebble in someone's shoe via a conversation, you know, talking to someone and making them think a little bit more about the issue We've had tons of stories of people who change their minds later on or because they saw a photo and we don't even know about it. And on top of that, we have all these hundreds of preborn children dying every single day and they need each of us to do our part um, if we want to stop them from being killed. Absolutely. I, I think of a, an experience that I had at the University of Calgary. We were doing a similar abortion awareness project, a big um, display showing the reality of what abortion does to having conversations. And I spoke to this fellow for about a half an hour. And and at the end of the conversation, he got a smile on his face and he said, you know what, I've, I've been going to school here for the last five years. And you guys have been here every semester for the last five years. And I've spoken to every person around the display that I could find every time you're here. And I finally changed my mind on abortion. And I, I appreciated being able to follow up with him and, and having him articulate that, you know what, it wasn't anything profound that I had said. It wasn't that 
nobody else had been able to answer his question, but rather that every person that he talked to did exactly what you mentioned, put a, a pebble in, in his shoe. And it got him thinking more and more and more. And that it was a long journey for him because it there's so many strings attached to an abortion worldview, but that sometimes we need to just be putting pebbles in people's shoes as, as wonderful as it is to witness somebody changing their mind entirely. So often um, our place in their journey is simply to plant the seed, to water that seed, to nourish it so that in God's time, they come to reject abortion whenever that may be, whether it's that day, that month, that year, sometime later, who knows. Kateri, thanks so much for joining. This has been very, very interesting, very cool to hear about your journey and, and your advice and, and anecdotes. For you who are, are tuning in for the first time, this is Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, an initiative of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can find more of our content either on the podcast catcher that you are listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or whatever it may be. You can find us on YouTube, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. You can find us on our website, www.prolifeguys.com. If you want to support the show and help us to grow even further, if you like what you hear and you want to get some promo codes for some sweet swag, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash guys. And at the end of the day, I hope that you are inspired to get more actively involved, not just because you want to be featured on the show like Katiri has been today, but also because you know this is helping save the lives of preborn children changing hearts and minds of mothers and fathers, sparing them um, the experience of abortion, sparing their children death by abortion. So Kateri, thanks so much for joining. And I hope that things are, are uh, continued to go very smoothly over in Vancouver. Thanks so much for having me.